YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. Hello and welcome. It's your favorite social studies teacher with slightly above average knowledge, style, and good looks, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. I hope everyone's having a good week. I hope you're doing well today. We're alive. We're breathing. And that means we're moving forward no matter what life throws our way. We're striving to be winners, not whiners. We're attempting to exceed expectations instead of making excuses. And let's see, what else can I... And we gain influence through knowledge and meaningful conversation and not ignorant name-calling or talking points. Eh, That last one didn't have so much rhyme to it, but still relevant, I suppose. Hello, today we are going to talk about, we're going to continue our What Is series with a brief discussion of the history of science. Namely, what is science? You know, science is all over the news, especially with the pandemic and COVID and all the TV and media, it's everywhere. Science, right? Trust the science, the scientists, the experts, the science. We hear things like that all the time. We hear the politicians saying, I will make a policy based on the science. And it seems like we, we, we all believe in science. It seems like we all uh, have high faith in science. Science has taken over every aspect of our lives. As less and less people are believers in a higher power, more and more people are believers in science. It's like that famous Jack Black comedy, Nacho Libre, where one of the main characters explains, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. So what exactly is science? You know, as a kid, I loved science. I had several experiments going on when I was a kid. I had, a, I had one of those chemistry sets. I had one of those microscopes. Uh, we would go out to the reservoir, to the lake, and I would collect lake water, and then I'd bring it home and put it under my microscope and look at all the organisms. I was what you would call a nerd. And, you know, I would have experiments and try out my theories. I, you know, it's, it's amazing that I didn't go into science. Science is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, but I like the boring sciences. I avoided chemistry like the plague, mostly because I am poor with mathematics. And even biology, even though biology was everyone's favorite, I, I liked sciences like botany. I think plants are cool. I also enjoyed geology in high school, learning about the different rocks and minerals. You know, the word science simply means knowledge. Hence why the word conscience is spelled con-science, or with knowledge. So at its very basic level, science is just the pursuit of knowledge or the discovery of knowledge. Notice right off the bat that science isn't concerned with truth, morality, ethics. You know, disciplines like theology and philosophy attempt to determine or realize those things. Webster's Dictionary defines science as knowledge about or study of the natural world based on facts learned through experiments and observation. Science is simply getting down to the facts, or as one person put it, and I like this definition, science is the discovery of the meaning of the facts. Any physicist will tell you that the natural world, everything, obeys laws. So much so that people with greater math skills than me 
when given all the appropriate variables, can calculate how far a football will go when it's kicked and where it will land afterwards. They can determine this before you even do the actual kicking of the ball. How can they do that? It's because we've learned and we've discovered these natural laws. Now, keeping with that analogy of the football for a moment, the physics will tell you where and how far the football will go. And again, that's if we have all the information that we need. To the degree, it will tell you even why it went east or why it went west. It would be because of the wind. But it's not going to tell you the bigger why, the greater why. Why do we all obey natural laws? That's a question science will not answer. If the universe is controlled by physical laws, who made these laws? Can laws randomly occur? Isaac Newton's first law of physics states that all objects will remain at rest or at motion unless an external force imposes a change. So, for example, if you place a marble on a table and give it a flick, that marble will move along the table. Your finger was the external force that imposed the change on that marble. Now, if there were no friction and no other objects in its way, and if the table was extremely long, technically that marble can roll on forever. However, we know that eventually the marble slows down or hits a wall or rolls off the table and bounces. Eventually it stops. This begs the question, what external force going from that marble to the greater universe, what external force causes the earth to spin? Why does the earth spin? Now, we all know about the Big Bang, right? The Big Bang was an event, just like kicking of the football or starting a car engine or flicking the marble. So we know the external force on the football was the foot, right? I kicked the ball. We know the external force on the marble is me flicking it. Uh, if we want to turn a car engine on, we know it's turning the ignition starts the car. So here, this begs the question, what preceded the Big Bang? What external force started the Big Bang? It's questions like these science cannot answer. That is because science is a process, a method, a system. That is why we have other sciences. When I went to college, I studied political science. I also studied economics. These are other sciences. Uh, economics was originally called natural philosophy. These sciences set out to study or gain knowledge in those specific areas. The fact that science cannot address these higher metaphysical questions isn't a bad thing. But I think many people have put their faith in science almost as if it was a religion unto itself. I think understanding any subject's limitations is a good thing. Also realizing that people, humans, are the ones analyzing the data and the facts should also remind us that there's going to be deficiencies in the process because humans are infallible. Anything they touch or anything they try to analyze is also going to have deficits. So you remember that definition, the one I liked about science? Science is the discovery of the meaning of the facts. So what does that mean? It means the facts are out there. There's things out there. There's truths out there. They're doing their thing. They exist. We just don't know about them. It's people like us, mankind, that uses science to figure out 
these facts, the meaning of these facts. Before I get too far into the weeds of our limitations regarding science, though, I want to talk about the scientific method for a moment. The beginning of the scientific method goes all the way back to ancient Greece and Aristotle, who realized that empirical measuring and recording were important to building the foundation of scientific thought. Now, many of us might remember the scientific method, but just in case, I want to give a basic outline of what it is. The scientific method goes something like this. Step one, there's a question. What mystery, what problem are you trying to figure out? Step two, hypothesize. That is an educated guess. Guess why this mystery or this problem occurs. Step three is the experiment. Test your hypothesis through different experiments. Step four, observe and record what happens at the end of your experiment. And step five, analyze and draw conclusions. This is the basic, basic uh, outline of the scientific method. Now let's go back to the history. So it starts in ancient Greece. Interestingly enough, there are some Muslim con uh, contributions to the method in the late uh, 7th and 8th centuries. And they really, uh, regarding, they really emphasized critical aspects of analyzing the data. Prove yourself wrong. You're trying to prove something wrong. You're, you're questioning. And that is important to remember with science. But the two main guys involved with the scientific method that we know today are Francis Bacon and Galileo. Bacon and Galileo were contemporaries, both being born or around the 1520s. According to Explorable.com, quote, Bacon reiterated the importance of induction as part of the scientific method, believing that all scientific discovery should proceed through the process of observation, experimentation, analysis, and inductive reasoning to apply the findings of the universe as a whole. He also believed that the experimental evidence could be used to eliminate conflicting theories and move closer to the truth, unquote. Now, inductive reasoning is looking at something specific and then making general arguments from them. So you're going from the specific to the general. Uh, deductive reasoning is the opposite. You're going from general to specific. So Bacon helped steer modern-day scientific method towards this inductive reasoning. Galileo also relied heavily on inductive reasoning in his experiments, so much so that many cite him as the father of modern science. Explorable.com writes, Galileo used a heavy inductive scientific method because he understood that no empirical evidence could be perfectly matched to theoretical predictions. Galileo believed that it would be impossible for an experiment to take into account every single variable. In the world of physics, for example, Galileo theorized that mass had no effect on the gravitational acceleration. No experiment could ever hope to measure this perfectly because of air resistance, friction, and inaccuracies with timing devices and methods, unquote. So this is a neat story, the Galileo and gravitational uh, acceleration of bodies. So Aristotle uh, believed that if something was heavier... It's going to go faster. And, and we actually kind of think that way, right? If you put a feather and a bowling ball and you go on the top of your house, don't do that, and you drop both of them, which one's going to hit the ground first? 
everybody's going to say the bowling ball. And the bowling ball's probably going to hit the ground first. But we're not taking into account things like air resistance. So Galileo is going to set up an experiment. And this is what scientists do, guys. We have to keep questioning and trying to prove things wrong. That's how you find out what is right. You find out what is right by proving things wrong. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but most truth in life is counterintuitive. You have to take those next steps down that road and you have to think about them to get to where you need to be. Any good scientist is going to question and try to prove things wrong, even themselves. That takes a little humility, though, because who wants to be wrong? So anyway, back to the story. So Galileo is going to climb to the top of the Tower of Pisa, and he's going to have a musket ball, and he's going to have a cannonball. And he wants to drop both of them. He notices two things. First, he noticed that the smaller musket ball leaves his hand faster than the heavier cannonball. But the cannonball would uh, quickly catch up to the musket ball. And some of this has to do with grip. When you are gripping, and this goes back to those variables, right? Uh, you can't perfectly let go of two objects at the same time. It's impossible. There's going to be split-second differences. Uh, so tradition states that he went up to the top of this tower. He's going to drop both of them. Oh, yeah. So he noticed that the uh, musket ball left first, but the cannonball would catch up. And second, he noticed that they almost hit the ground at the same time. Later, other scientists would go on to create a vacuum. So that's like a chamber with all the air sucked out. And it's going to get rid of all uh, air resistance. And they're going to prove Galileo right, that objects of different mass can fall at the same rate and do fall at the same rate. So we've defined science. And we've explained the scientific method. Now let's discuss the advantages and the disadvantages, or we can call them weaknesses, or we can call them limitations of science. Obviously, a clear advantage to science is how much knowledge we've gained through it. Advancements in medicine and uh, agriculture alone ex have extended lifespans and increased the quality of life for millions around the world. Through science, we've been able to vanquish diseases that our ancestors struggled with and suffered under. Science has brought us transportation and communication miracles as well. The advantages to science far outweigh any disadvantage that I can come up with. There are disadvantages. There are limitations, however. And I've mentioned this a little bit earlier in the podcast. Science is a process. That's all. Science is a cold, sterile, amoral thing. It is a system developed to learn how things work. Science doesn't bother itself with the grander questions of morals or ethics. When humankind learned about atomic theory and the A-bomb became a reality, this happened because of science. But people didn't turn to science and say, should we even consider doing this? It's like Jurassic Park when Jeff Goldblum's character admonished you know, the guy that started the park, he said, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think whether they should. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, science doesn't address the should at all. 
Look at other examples, things like plastics. Plastics have saved countless lives, not to mention helped lift millions out of poverty. Plastics are cheap, but we're drowning in plastics. Plastics do not break down. Well, it it does break down, but it, it doesn't biodegrade. It breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces that don't break down. Plastics last forever. And we're seeing the negative effects of the overuse of plastics today. Just go outside. Go outside and drive down the street. I guarantee you, on your way to the store, you will see a plastic bag or a plastic bottle or something. You will see plastic on your way uh, to your to the I don't know gas station, wherever. Things like whales washing up on the shore due due to their stomachs being full of plastic. Microplastics are in our food. They're in our drinking water. Things like that. Another glaring weakness uh, is that mainly people, humans, mankind are involved with science. People have to interpret the facts. You know, the data, people have to make sense of the data. And people clearly have biases. People bring their bias, their greed, their dishonesty, their pride to the scientific process. And many times people go into science with the idea of being proven right, being proven correct, not being proven wrong. And that is a clear distinction of the success of science. You go in to prove things wrong, not to prove yourself right. Because if you try to prove yourself right, you might cheat. You might, you might overlook something because obviously you're correct. I mean, obviously, there's something wrong with the stupid data. What is wrong with the stupid data? I'm right. Here's my theory data. Fit into my theory. That is the wrong way, boys and girls. That is the wrong way to do science. So I've always seen these these two opposing forces in science, especially if you look at the history of science. It's kind of science's Achilles heel. One force is the aspect of critical analysis, which is so important. You know, nobody likes critical people. Nobody likes Debbie Downers, but you want that critical eye, that critical mind when you go into interpreting data. And then there's another force at work, and that is the, I don't want to be wrong. You know, there's a old saying, all change is considered heresy at first. All change is considered heresy at first. Look that up throughout history. Every time someone had a new idea, they were persecuted, they were challenged, they were mocked, and then years later, oh, that guy was right. Science is about inquiry and critical analysis, basically questioning and trying to prove things wrong, not not questioning and trying to prove things right. The problem is today, most people depend on science almost as if it was a religion, or an oracle. Critical analysis is sometimes sacrificed because science has to give us an answer. And a lot of times it's the answer we want. So in closing, what is science? It's a process. It's a way to discover the meaning of the facts. Science is not a religion. It is not a deity. It is not the oracle of Delphi. It's just a process of attaining knowledge. And it's up to people to interpret the data. Science has brought us atomic energy. It's also brought us nuclear weapons. It has brought us smartphones that allow instant communication with grandma. And you can see the new baby from thousands of miles away and you can celebrate family activities. 
but it's also brought us cyberbullying and depression and instant pornography. It used to be that science was a partner with theology and philosophy. They acted like a check and balance. But today, science is the end-all, be-all. If you question science today, you are the modern-day atheist. If you question the experts who are the kind of the high priests of science today, you're an ignorant, unwashed pagan. But ladies and gentlemen, to question is science. To engage in questioning is to engage in science. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please give me a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Liberty.